Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast in which we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. Um, And this week we're going to talk about the business of tough customers, conversations when you are buying things. Um, I'm just aware, Tom, that when I am shopping, a slightly different version of me uh, comes out and it varies what I'm buying and maybe what I'm spending. But I'm also very aware that I can't generalize from my own experience of what it's like to buy things um, and, uh, and assume that everybody else is the same. So what kind of shopper are you, Tom? Well, this is one of those areas in which you're absolutely right. Everybody has their own likes and dislikes, their own foibles. I am not a natural haggler. Okay. I dislike it. Uh, my partner, Deborah, who long-term listeners of this podcast will know well, very much enjoys getting a deal right? and will play one party off another if she's spending a lot of money in one go in order to get the best possible deal she can. And the whole process makes me profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I'm very conscious of the price of things, maybe. I was, I was genuinely wondering as I thought about this, Tom, am I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that I am. I just, I'm just, just very aware that um, if uh, I feel comfortable if I see a number, I know what it is, and I know it's not going to move. And I know that also, if I was to look at comparable products, that it's going to be roughly in that ballpark. I don't like the fact that um, in the world of the internet, so buying buying an aeroplane flight. I mean, like it, literally from minute to minute, the price goes zooming all over the place. Yes. And I partly suspect that somebody's reading what I'm putting into my computer and changing it. And uh, There fiddling. is a suspicion Although, of that. And uh, it is definitely something which it can be done. I don't think it happens quite as much as people sometimes suspect it does. Yeah, uh, but my suspicion is that it's a bit of a, an urban myth. Um, but uh, but I'm but, but it definitely does move, um, and uh, maybe it's just to do with the coincidence of when I'm doing my browsing and other people are doing theirs that the demand seems to be changing at the other end. But I suppose the reason I raise it is that um, is that maybe people are getting a different, more neurotic version of me in conversation when I'm about to commit to spending some money. Um, and I was uh, I was wondering sort of what the origins of it all are. But it also makes a difference, doesn't it, if this is an ongoing relationship. Mm. If you're going to see this person again, if this is a regular purchase, or if you're walking into 
a shop or some other place of business, you're going to conclude this transaction, walk out, and never see the other person ever again. Yeah. I think the first shops I went into when I was a kid, so I, at the end of my road on Wellington Road, there was a newsagent called Riders, and that was that was a shop I would actually go into myself and buy sweets. I think it may have been the shop I tentatively shoplifted sweets from before <laughs> I before I was busted for it. And <laughs> I understand that this is a pretty standard procedure small boys go through. I don't know about small girls, my brothers and I. Um, and um, of course, you know, we, we carried on buying our beanos there every week. And then when I was a teenager, I would go into the kind of shops I'd regularly visit in town. I'd go to the games workshop, you know, where they where there's sort of White Dwarf magazine and little lead miniatures and Warhammer. And in fact, they very definitely set up those shops as a community for people to hang and talk and not spend money. And so maybe I was there, I was very aware that the that commercial dimension is not just a transaction, it's a long-term relationship. And so it's it makes sense as a shopkeeper to have people in your shop, even if they're not spending money there, because they will come back and they might. And then I went to used to I used to always go to Waterstones. Our bookshop in town was Sweetens, um, and then a Waterstones opened. A Waterstones had a very clear policy that people were allowed to just hang around reading books and browsing. It was very they weren't they weren't going to chuck people out for basically road testing the material. Um, and as a teenager, that meant you could work your way through a whole graphic novels um, collection. <laughs> so. Uh, I suppose there's always that. You went through mouse if you weren't able to get it from your school library, for example. Yes, exactly. And you can buy it now. In fact, I must order a copy of that for uh, it's tremendous my son good. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. The um, so, so I just felt kind of the that that sense that I'm in somebody else's territory. I suppose has always um, been relevant when I'm a customer. And I suppose it goes back to something we were talking about on an earlier episode about: Are you a guest or are you a host? Um, but it's complex when you're a customer because there's also this idea that the customer is always right um so you have a certain um you, you know you're in somebody else's space um you know with the you know potentially spending money there but at the same time you also have this sense that uh, that that I have a, a right to explore everything before I then finally hand over the cash and take it out of the shop so there's that sort of strange power dynamic there which is kind of slightly tricky yeah, and we've worked with people in sales of various kinds. But one thing I do like to emphasize is that when a negotiation is taking place, it is a negotiation that's happening on both sides. I don't believe it's the job of the salesperson to outwit the person buying in order to get the best possible deal. I'm interested in helping both parties build a strong relationship. So for example, Letting people into your shop to, to browse and look at the figures makes sense because it builds up a loyal customer base. Uh, and uh, they may choose to buy things from you, even if they can get a slightly better price elsewhere at some other cost. Maybe if it's via mail order, they'll get a lower price, but they'll have to wait three days for it to be delivered. Yes. and uh, And in the case of Games Workshop specifically, that strategy has worked out 
phenomenally well. I don't know if you know, but they had the most astonishing lockdown because people were stuck at home, bored out of their minds, and they wanted to revive hobbies that they hadn't had time for and had been dead for 20 years. And so they went, they absolutely exploded um, through the uh, the COVID area. So it's just that's partly the kind of the very long game they were playing worked out very well for them. Here's a question. Have you ever, I was thinking about what, when I've been a successful customer, when I feel like I've made an effective purchase, but I was also thinking of when, I, when I've when i made a, a bad purchase and I feel that I've kind of, it's not quite worked out. Um, it's always a queasy feeling, isn't it? If as the purchaser, you make an offer and it's accepted immediately. Yes. I mean, I'm talking about spending a lot of money in one go. <laughs> but uh, if if you say, well, I'll give you X for it, and the other person says, done, start shaking your hand straight away, it's never a happy sign. Yes, and there's a, <laughs> I mean, I said maybe there's also there's kind of a, a snob thing. I don't care to bargain, you know, that uh, that I, I, all I want to do is just buy this and walk away. And maybe I'm, maybe you end up paying in order to kind of to opt out of a process yeah. that um, if you didn't have the, the readies that you might feel it was probably worth going through. I've recently... Um, well, I'm sitting in the at the top of my house in Folkestone, and I'm looking across the valley to the Bale, and I nearly bought a house there. I don't know if you know. Do, do I remember? To, well, I'm sure I told you about it. Yeah, I remember. There so, was a house you had your heart set on. We had our heart. So get. Zoe and I had our heart set on this house. Now, a house buying is a particular kind of purchase, and I obviously wanted to feel confident that I was making the right choice. And one of the problems with this particular house was that I wasn't able to have a conversation with the owner. Um, and I was telling myself at the time uh, that, that maybe that doesn't matter so much because I'm not going to be having an ongoing relationship with this individual after the purchase is over. So I would talk to the estate agent and the estate agent would then say, oh, we'll talk to the vendor. And then they would get back to me. Um, but it, it became increasingly difficult to communicate with them. And then I tried to figure out who they were and where they were. I was told that they were living in uh, South End. Um, no, forgive me. They, they weren't living in South End. They were living in China. They were the owners. Um, and uh, and therefore, I remember it sort of putting together an appeal <laughs> to lower their price and having it translated by the Chinese wife of a friend of mine and, uh, and asking it to be relayed to them. And then later discovering that they weren't living in China at all. They were living in South End. And then Zoe, my partner, bumped into them uh, in uh, outside the house because they'd actually come to Folkestone to look at it. Um, and uh, they offered to drop the price by, uh, I think, a substantial lump, but nowhere near to what we could afford. So it was right at the edge of what we could afford. And so we ended up stepping away from the purchase. And I think if we'd been able to speak to them in person earlier in the process, potentially we may have ended up buying the house. But... I know it would have been a disaster because it turned out to have the, all sorts of problems with it, which only emerged when it was later purchased by somebody else. So uh, it's kind of it's it's a real salutary tale in my in my buying and communicating history that I, it's a really lucky thing that I didn't get what I wanted in terms of the way we were doing it. You ever had any particularly kind of painful um, purchase experience when you felt like, oh, damn it, I was sold a pup or I trusted somebody that I really shouldn't have done and maybe there would have been a different way of doing it that would have been better? Um, um, helpfully for this podcast, I don't think I do. 
uh, which is just you know luck more than anything else, I suppose. Well, maybe it's not because I, I was just wondering. I, I think that you're somebody who's quite good at letting go of sunk costs. That's that was a disaster. Now let's just um, work, move on to the next thing. Am I it is true. Maybe for people that? who who don't know, it's worth just running through the sunk cost fallacy. The easiest example I know is uh, you've bought tickets to a concert, and now on the day of the concert, uh, you don't feel well, and you no longer feel like going. And especially if these were expensive tickets, then. The psychological urge is, well, I've paid for these tickets. I should use them, even if actually going to the concert is going to be a miserable experience. And you are allowing a sunk cost, funds that you've expended, which you can no longer get back, to influence your decision about what you do next. The question should be, will I enjoy going to the concert or not? Because the money that's already been spent is at this stage irrelevant. Um, I think something I think I've got better at over the years um but the, the certainly i can i can let um, purchases i've made or expenditures that i've incurred just gnaw at me even though there's absolutely nothing i can do about it thereafter even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's the, uh, other than your house, what's the most expensive thing you've ever bought? That's a good question. I Houses think, don't count because banks give you the money. Well, actually, I mean, I, I'm thinking of a recent um, sort of quite successful purchase, which was my, my car. Ah, um, yes. And so, um, and, and now, now this is interesting because, yeah, substantial purchase here. Um, and also it was, uh, as a customer, it wasn't ideal circumstances. So it, this was at the beginning of December and I'd been sick. And uh, so I was away in hospital. That's something going around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, but also Zoe's mother was sick. So basically she was caught between uh, a parent who needed her um, in Sussex and uh, me who wasn't around and trying to get Frank to school in the morning. So it was a very, very stressful set of circumstances. And so this is an issue. We were in a hurry. Um, and it's not a good idea to be making uh, important high value purchases when you're in a rush. No. Um, but in some ways it did simplify some things. So f first of all, I'd never bought a secondhand car before. All right. And I did have a car, but it had been a gift. And, um, but the, uh, so we had to find some way of actually test driving cars just to get familiar, just to be a little confident that we were um, about what we were doing and meeting some dealers as well. 
So we went through quite a complex process of renting cars, driving to dealerships, sort of asking to drive around cars that we reckon might have been within our budget, and then coming back and thinking about it. We did this a couple of times. So there was this human element of meeting dealers and and also talking to them on the phone because I'd been given advice not to buy a car unless I could have my mechanic look at it. And I really do ah. trust my mechanic. So I've got this ongoing relationship with the brilliant guys at Zanchi's around the corner from me. Um, so um, the dealers that were very happy and relaxed about that, they that felt sort of quite a, like a good place mm. to start. Um, uh, don't worry, our, our vehicle will pass expert tests by other people rather than just suckers like you. But the people who act like they've got something to hide probably have. Well, that was the thing. Why, why are you being so tricky about this? Particularly as by the time I've kind of taken my car to my mechanic, I'll have handed over a lot of money and I'll be 100 miles away potentially in, uh, in Kent. So, you know, you might as well go for it. Um, and then we kind of stepped back from it and we decided, um, and this is partly a function of the internet and maybe buying things is different in the area of the internet. We decided that we couldn't cope... <laughs> with anything more complex than replacing the car we had with the exact same car. So then we simply started looking for that car wherever it was. Um, and we also learned that our statutory rights in an internet sale were actually quite strong. So we could simply oh. send it back um, if we could find a way of getting it there, wherever it came from, um, if we changed our mind. Um, and that worked. But then it actually it, it did matter to have the conversation. So I, I rang these guys in Portsmouth where we'd found the car. And uh, and spoke to Jack. Um, and in fact, I, am, I will give a shout out on this podcast. It, it's at Gravel Hill Car Sales in Portsmouth. And um, and first of all, Jack was completely relaxed when I told him what my buying process was going to be. I was simply going to get this car, <laughs> drive it around, take it to my mechanic, and if he liked it, then I would not return it. Um, <laughs> and uh, he seemed perfectly happy about that. Um, and, uh, and But then he called me on the day it was due to be delivered. This was just before Christmas. And said he had a problem. And at that point, I thought, oh, have I kind of got stuck now in the long grass of uh, of used car sales? Um, and he said that the person who was meant to drive it over from Portsmouth to Kent, where I lived, um, had let him down. And so it, he wasn't going to be able to get it to me that day. Um, now, that was... That was a problem for me because my mechanic was closing a couple of days later. And if I I was expecting to have it today, take it to the mechanic tomorrow morning, and then also actually go and visit my sick mother-in-law the day after that. Um, and so I had to say to Jack, I'm afraid that's a bit of a problem because of my schedule. So I talked him through it. And then uh, and he said, well, there's nothing I could do, said Jack. I said, well, I'm, I bet there is. So um, go away and think about it. And, and Jack <laughs> went away. Um, and I then sent him cheerful, pleasant text messages through the rest of the day, not hearing from him until eventually at 5.30, he rang me and he said, I've solved the problem. And I said, oh, that's good news, Jack. What's going to happen? He said, I'm about to get in it and drive it from Portsmouth to Kent myself, um, which was absolutely heroic. And he showed up with this marvellous car that Zoe and I are very, very pleased with. And, uh, and it's, uh, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't totally straightforward, but it worked out because he was fair yeah. And even though I was stressed, this was the thing. I think the Good stress man. of high value purchases can make people less nice than they really ought to be. I managed to stay nice throughout. So I remember when we started doing our work on negotiations, one of the things that dawned on me, which is one of those things that sort of sounds trivial, 
but it's easily overlooked and I think therefore worth pointing out that is in a negotiation, it's very rare to get something for nothing. Hmm. If you're the purchaser and you say, well, can I have it for 20% off? The answer probably will be no, unless the seller has begun at a very inflated price and knew that that was unrealistic and that was always going to come down, which does sometimes happen. Yeah. But one of the things as the purchaser you can offer is speed. You can say, yeah. I will give you 20% less than you're asking for, but I will give that to you in cash today, right now. And a bird in the hand, etc. So some people will go for that. The flip side of that, the darker kind of flip side of that, is it's an old sales trick to vary the deal at the last possible moment. So when yes. the purchaser feels as if the deal is done, they've started to relax, they've started making plans, as you had suddenly to say, oh, actually, it's going to be 10% more. <laughs> and I recommend that you stand your ground. This happened mm. to us, actually, when we bought our flat. At the last minute, uh, we said we wanted to exchange after Christmas mm -hmm. because we weren't going to be ready to move out before then. And the letting agent said, well, we have another buyer who's willing to pay 10% more than you who will exchange tomorrow. And we smelled a rat. Yeah. And we said, well, you should probably take that <laughs> in that case because 10% more sounds like a fantastic deal. Uh, that deal... <laughs> Whether it existed or not, did not in fact go through, and we were able to exchange after Christmas as we wanted. <laughs> no, that's good. You, I mean, being tough in those circumstances is important. I just meant, oh, I should really make clear, I, I have no reason to doubt that Jack actually did have a delivery problem and he wasn't simply trying to kind of it have an easy like day. It, it sounds um, like it. <laughs> uh, whereas I have very few doubts that the buyer who was going to pay 10% more for our flat was entirely a figment of that letting agent's imagination. No doubt what she actually wanted was to have this sale on the books at the end of that calendar year because it was going to affect her end-of-year bonus. Yes, no, no, no doubt. I mean, if you if you, you do run the risk of freaking somebody out when they're already in quite a stressed state, one of the dealers we visited, I mean, there was this yard basically behind, uh, 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 so just off a main road and, and a hut, and out came this this bloke and it, it I mean it was very much like a kind of a comedy sketch cliche of, uh, of a car dealership and a comedy sketch cliche of a car dealer who when he was kind of probing us for what we were looking for at one point he simply said to us no 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 the problem is you're, you're simply trying to look at too many cars you want to buy a car and that was at that point I was thinking I, I just could feel the hair standing up all over my body <laughs> and I just I had to say to Zoe this is making me feel very uncomfortable let's leave and, and it's despite the in fact, we were surrounded by cars, many of which were sort of, I'm sure, were you know, more or less what we were looking for. But it was just there was there was no way I could feel confident in the vehicle I was getting from this bloke and my statutory rights thereafter. One thing which I've uh, I've come across in uh, in my work is that that if you're a professional buyer, if you're somebody who's who is effectively buying things on behalf of your organisation. That can do strange things to your communication style. Have you ever come across this, Tom? And uh, and if you are a procurement person out there, and please do get in touch with your perspective on this, especially, incidentally, if you've got contradictions. But I remember once working with a team in which they were all incredibly tough, low reactors. It might mm. be the, the business they were part of. They were in 
the they're in the clo- rag trade clothes business basically and i know that the margins are very very tight there and uh, and so the the when you're negotiating it over price then it's uh, it's a standard to be very very tough about that um but what it meant um was i remember particularly for one particular person was that he found it quite difficult to negotiate with people within his organization in order to delegate work and so on they that he he was constantly wearing the kind of the armor of i am not going to be sold to i am going to be doing the buying um yes <laughs> and uh, and so that kind of affected the way that they were engaging with everybody because a successful strategy in one key part of their professional life had started to seep into other areas of their lives as well yes if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail Yes. <laughs> it's very easy to apply the same technique in many different similar circumstances when actually a technique that serves you very well over here may be useless or counterproductive over there. Mm. Yes. And also, I guess there's maybe the flip side to it as well in that uh, that element can affect your engagement with people when you're thinking about mates' rates. So, <laughs> I mean, the, the town I live in is full of entrepreneurial people, some of whom are opening shops. Um, and uh, so your, you know, your friend was, is then suddenly somebody who is selling things and you feel almost uh, a sense of, oh, right, well, I should, I should definitely buy that sort support of this. From, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You want to, yeah, you want, you want to back them, but there's, so there's a, there's a second strand to the way you're engaging with each other, um, which can affect the way you talk to each other. I, Actually, when I, when I think about it, I think mainly there's just a risk to them of me wasting their time as I stand inside their shop gossiping and talking rather than, <laughs> <laughs> rather than not buying their things from, from them. But it comes back to something we've talked about in this podcast before, and that is, first of all, the importance of building relationships, but also the relative importance of building relationships. Right now, is it more important for me to get the best possible deal I can buying this material, for example, if I'm in the rag trade, because the margins are tight and I have customers on the other end who are waiting for clothes and I've just got to get the best possible deal I can. And I don't know if I'm going to deal with you again. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. So I can afford to play hardball. As opposed to when I'm trying to run my team and delegate work to them where I absolutely know I'm going to be seeing them again tomorrow and my relationship with them is of paramount importance and so it might very well do better for me to do them a favor today and let them go home early or do whatever it is they want to do because they will then see me as a fair boss and someone to whom they owe a favor in future. Yes, um, and uh, and I think sort of distinguishing between different ways of doing things is uh, is uh, maybe the, the the way out of feeling you're stuck with a particular pattern. I know that occasionally I have noticed that I make particular kinds of purchases in a better way when I'm doing it without that human conversational dimension. So I've become quite good at eBay. Um, and uh, and I'm trying and I'm kind of I'm, I I know exactly what it is that I want to buy because I can see it. Um, then it's a simple matter of kind of of trying to make sure I get a price which suits me. And I'm quite good at letting go. Um, incidentally, when I yes. don't win auctions, eBay does a lot of that negotiating for you. It allows you to put in a price that's the maximum you're willing to spend. And the absolute trick with eBay, as you say, is decide what that maximum price is, put it in and never change it. Maybe you will win and maybe you won't, but if that was your maximum, 
then going over it is a foolish decision. And if it wasn't your maximum, then you did the first bit wrong. Well, that's interesting. But it shouldn't change over time. You should decide, mm. now this is as much as I'm willing to spend, and then eBay will increase your bid up to that maximum if there is competition. You don't have yeah. to lift a finger after then. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, tell me whether you think this is... Because what, what I do is I... I do make that decision about how much this is going to be worth to me. Um, and uh, But what I do is I snipe at the last minute because I quite like the excitement of feeling that I've basically I've <laughs> dropped a deer at a, at a long distance with my long-range rifle. Um, so I do like the kind of the buzz of it finishing. <laughs> that is the other tactic. And indeed, there are tools you can get which will snipe at the last minute for you. Typically, yes. they'll snipe with 10 seconds to go for free, and they'll snipe with one second to go if you pay a fee. Uh, but, of course, there may be multiple of these bots all kind of trying to out-snipe or, each other. Yes, yeah. so you very can't often, always win. You can't always win. And very often you'll see this sort of flurry of last-minute bids. Uh, which is yeah, it's it's all it's all part of the fun. Because I don't like negotiating, even even that I don't like the tension of that. When I buy things on eBay, ninety percent of the time, it's a buy it now. Price. It's a buy it now. How yep. interesting! I've, I don't I, do the I, auctions. I, all I, I of don't my, like the stress. All of my eBay searches are auction only. Tom, uh, <laughs> I don't go anywhere near the buy it now stuff. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for joining in, um, uh, those of you who've been listening. And uh, your uh, your homework this week is to go and try out a, an alternative um, uh, buyer conversation in a low-stake situation and uh, see what kind of experience you come up with. So if you're somebody who tries to avoid the uh, the chat with the, uh, the the sales associate or the shop assistant, then uh, go in and uh, with a little bit more time and spend a lot of time building a relationship and see if you, uh, you end up coming out with more um, uh, positive experiences. And likewise, if you are somebody who just likes to waste shopkeepers times like like me um uh, see if you can make a, a do all of your research before you ever go anywhere near um uh, a, a sales situation and uh, and make a, a, a clean kill um and uh, let us know how it goes for you yes please uh, alex and i deliver training days to people in business in person or via Zoom on all of these topics, we talk to them about client meetings, better negotiations, presenting with confidence, storytelling, networking, and much else besides. If you'd like to get in touch with us to discuss what you do and how we might be able to help you, then you can send an email to info at the-spontaneity-shop.com or you can give the Spontaneity Shop a call on 020-7788-4080. And we'd love to hear from you. If you've got um, experiences you want to share with us or topics you'd like to cover as part of the show, drop us an email or record your thoughts in a voice memo. We might even play it on a future show. Until next time, I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk To Anyone with me, Alex McLaren, and my guests, Susan Harrison and Lucy Trott. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. You Can Talk To Anyone is brought to you by The House of the Guilty Feminist and is distributed exclusively by ACAST. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.